No. Why? What? No. No one needs to see my ugly ass doing regular shit. Well, you don't. This have is to... me mowing my yard. You don't have to take a picture of your. This is me playing video games for the ninth hour today. I'm gonna do this whole podcast without looking at you. This is me watching the Sacramento Kings play the Utah Jazz's backups in the fourth quarter of a scrimmage. It doesn't matter because I'm a psycho. No one needs any of that. Oh yeah, no, there's no Ben, no more Ben Mclemore on Sacramento, right? He's no, he's in Houston, bro. He's a sinner. Remember when he was going to the Thunder? He's a sinner. He's a sinner. He is a sinner. I think he's. I think he took the uh, Tomasefalosha sinner role. I'm not even trying to be funny. He played 32 minutes last night. (laughs) Good God. Good Lord. Good Lord. One, two, three. It's the weekly show on the OKC82 podcast. We are three games, well, three scrimmages done in the bubble, and now the games are going to count. And last week, I had the pleasure of sticking Madison Morris on the weekly show for all your listening pleasure, but now you're stuck back with Brady and Chisholm Holland. Welcome back. How was vacation? Thank you. Uh, Vacation was dope. I appreciate everyone who cried that I was not on this show last week. and There were tears. Yeah. Uh, no, I assume it's probably a better show than normal, so I'm shocked that I'm honestly here. Oh, I mean, Madison, she bitched and moaned about having to do it. Oh, did Madison fill in for me? Yeah. Okay, I knew Madison came on. I just wasn't sure if that was like a post-game scrimmage show. We did, I think we did the first game post-game scrimmage, and then like a few days before we did the weekly show. Okay, I assumed so. Ryan Chapman filled in for me since he's gunning for my job very publicly. Yeah, he did the second game scrimmage. Uh, we had Matt Burton. Okay. Like Matt Burton, Ryan Chapman, and Derek Parker were over at the apartment when we were watching the game, and we could not believe Andre Robertson was hitting daggers. Andre Robertson was hitting daggers. And then giving uh, Joel Embiid the biz. Are you on, did you ask me to come back just because you know that I'm the guy who's going, hey, Andre Robertson might not be as good as everyone thinks right now? Like, I feel like I'm the tampering what expectations. Did we, what did we talk about all pandemic, all quarantine? Like, we would, you'd ask me Andre Robertson questions on my call-ins, and I would be like, eh, I'll believe it I think at I one point, I, this, like, I don't know if I've ever told you this. At one point, I think I asked you like 12 interviews in a row just to see if I could get you like really get pissed off. I asked that, and is Billy Donovan going to get a contract extension? That was my question to Matt. That was the biggest question, I think, during that entire time was, is this going to happen? Yeah. Is the season going to end? If so, like, is Billy the next head coach? But Sam and I had inside jokes of how many times in a row we could ask people the same question and who would react first. And you and Madison never never flinched. Well, we like to be consistent. I appreciate that. I think that that's important. I appreciate some You're people, too nice. Some people waver You're too in, nice. in their BS. No, but uh, Chisholm, I thought today would be a good opportunity for us to go, because you uh, finished watching Game 3, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I watched oh. all of it. Okay. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to I base- had no power last night for eight hours, which is why I did not watch it in Now, what time. the hell happened? Was uh, it the rainstorm? Bro, I have no idea. No, no, no. Uh, we heard a very loud boom, and then our power went out, and it did not come back on to like four in the morning. Was your initial reaction to repent? Like, oh, God, here it comes. I did think I got left by the rapture. I absolutely thought that's what it was. And then after I called my father, I was like, are you still here? Yes. Okay. Whew, dodged a bullet. Mm. No, that, that would, uh, thank, thank goodness that didn't happen, I guess. But yeah. I mean, we're still stuck here. But regardless, I missed the, uh, the Thunder scrimmage yesterday, so I had to watch it on Rewind today. I did my best to avoid spoilers, uh, but Darius Baisley scoring 20 points was apparently so great that uh, that was flooded with my timeline. So I was kind of expecting that. Well, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to basically just go down the roster and just sure. s- something as simple as did this player surprise you? Did they make improvements in some way? Like how does it, how do you think it's going to translate into the seeding games, into the postseason? So I th- let's just start from the top. Uh, Chris Paul. Now Chris Paul played in the first half of the first game, played in the first half of the second game, and of course sat out all of Game Three for rest. Um, and I'll just 
say. I mean, I, I don't really, I didn't really expect to see any type of development with Chris Paul. My biggest question is just going to be whatever was working for him in the regular season. Is he going to be able to recapture that? Because the Thunder pride themselves on being in being in games that are you know one two possession games at the end of the game, and during those times they shoot the lights out of it. Particularly Chris Paul, who I think is shooting fifty percent on all shots in the last few minutes when it's yeah, a, highest offensive offensive rating in clutch time. Yeah, all he's those things. leading the league in clutch points. Is he going to be able to recapture that? If so, if it's basically just kind of the next day for Chris Paul, the, the Thunder will be fine. If not. That's when we have to get to um, Shea Gillis Alexander, but we'll get to him in a second. But just, is there anything that surprised you about Chris Paul or shocked you or like that disappointed anything? Sure. So Chris Paul, we weren't expecting like, oh man, Chris added this to his game. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris has kind of passed that point in his career because he's added just about everything to his game. Um, so I wasn't really expecting that to your point. It was more about rhythm. Like uh, basketball is such a rhythm sport. And the great thing about Chris Paul is he's just always in rhythm. I, early on in the quarantine period, went back to see, like, has Chris Paul missed a significant amount of time, and did he struggle when he came back? Just rhythm question, right? Not health question. Uh, Chris Paul has been relatively healthy. He has had a couple of stents where he missed uh, a handful of games here and there. And by and large, Chris Paul game one, Chris Paul game 82, kind of the same guy. Now, he's dealt with injuries where he's been out for games, but if he is on the floor, he's just him. So, that question of is he going to be as good as he was when the season finished, I kind of removed for myself uh, pretty early on in this process. And the scrimmages showed that he's still Chris Ball. He's still doing all of these Chris Ball things. Yeah, again, I think it's just going to be a matter of is he going to be able to recapture whatever momentum he had. And if, it's, if it takes him a few games, sure, so be it, because the Thunder are already going to be behind the eight ball. So he's going to have to be forced to have more opportunities. So maybe that speeds up the process of him getting it back. But I guess that would take us then to Shea Gilds Alexander because with no Dennis Schroeder for a handful of games, I mean, we still don't know. We didn't get a chance to talk to the Thunder today. Uh, but the next time we get a chance to talk to him, if no one asks, I'm going to just straight up ask Billy, is there a timetable for Dennis Schroeder's departure and then return, assuming everything with his family goes according to plan? And these things are, I would assume, hard to plan for. And with what's going on in the world, it makes it even tougher. But uh, with Shea Gilds Alexander... If Chris Paul doesn't have it, he at least showed yesterday that he has really taken this four months of like no basketball and really like upped his game. And he was one of the few players that just openly admitted like in the first time we talked to him. Oh yeah, I played basketball. Oh yeah, I played basketball the whole time. Played five on five the whole time. (laughs) It's like okay, like I I appreciate the honesty. Well, it really shows because um, in the first two minutes yesterday, and you probably thought the same thing when you watched Game Three, he looked lost. And it kind of looked like the Shea Gilles Alexander that we saw against Dallas when Chris Paul went back to California to mourn the loss of Kobe Bryant, where he just looked a little unsure of himself and looked like he was trying to do too much. Like, Chris Paul's not here, so it's my turn. Uh, after they called timeout, the Thunder did, uh, two minutes into the game, it was a completely different story. And if that's what we're going to see out of Shea, I think that that alleviates the uh, pressure off of Chris Paul and, of course, helps the Thunder in the event that Dennis Schroeder is gone for more than four or five or even six games. Yeah, so the first opening of Game 3, I would encourage everyone to go back and watch it because I, again, I, I came into it a little bit cold. I didn't read anybody's articles uh, beforehand because I just wanted to get my own perception of it first before I started reading other people's opinions. Do you know who brought the ball up on the first possession? Was it Lou? Lou Dort brought yeah. the ball up on the first possession and yeah. got the offense running. Who brought it up on the second one? Was it Shea? Danilo Gallinari. Oh, Danilo. Guess who brought it up on the third one? Danilo Gallinari. Just wait till we get to the Danilo, but continue. Yeah, the fourth one. Andre Robertson. 
Shea didn't actually bring up the ball and then quote unquote initiate the offense until after the timeout, uh, which I thought was strange. And a lot of that's just rebounding and you know they push the ball up the floor. And I, I, I guess I wouldn't look too much into any of those things, but I thought there was a. I was sitting there going, "Well, this isn't the game plan." Billy Donovan isn't like, you know what we need to do? Get the ball in Lou Dort's hands while Shea's out there. I did, so I figured once the timeout came out, t- came that they were going to kind of reset, and that's what they did. I think Shea is taking a big step forward in a lot of ways because, you know, uh, this is a second offseason. It's kind of expected. He's made big jumps from high school to college, college to the NBA, Clippers to the Thunder. Every time he's had a chance to get better, he has. Uh, the step back three thing, I will say I'm cautiously and pretty heavily cautiously, cautiously optimistic that that'll translate to games. It looked good in a couple of scrimmages that don't actually matter. Um, if those fall in playoff games, then I'm, I'm ready to say that, you know, he's really added that to his repertoire, but I'll just, I'll pause on that. You know, Ben Simmons shooting corner threes kind of pause of, yeah, yeah, you're doing it now and it doesn't count. What are you going to do when it does? But nonetheless, I, I think he's shown that he can run an offense well enough that when Dennis is gone and he's going to be the lone ball handler on the floor, he stands a chance of running a capable offense. I, I think that's yep. fair to say. Um, I will, I, the biggest thing for me that I think I've noticed in these scrimmages is, for me, defensively, he looks drastically more dialed in. I, I think he's done so much better on the ball. He's been a pretty good defender. Uh, I think sometimes we oversold how great of a defender he was. I think his ceiling is very, very high. But day in and day out, I don't think he's been quite the lockdown defender sometimes he's pictured as. I think in these scrimmages, he looked great. Yeah, I think he's smart. He's a smart basketball player, and he often kind of accidentally plays good defense just because he's so damn long. But I, I think you're exactly right. Whatever he did in the, in the, I almost said the offseason, but during the hiatus, it's really worked. And one of the bigger developments that we saw early on in these scrimmages was just, well, A, he looks bigger, and B, when he's going to the basket, he's not having to use his scoop, you know, his scoop shot to hit a layup off of a weird angle anymore mm-hmm. because he can just basically go straight at the defender and try and finish at the rim. And the good thing for that is just going to be, well, then he'll probably get to the foul line more because that was my biggest concern during the regular season is, well, that will probably come with time and probably when Chris Paul is you know not on the Thunder anymore, when Shea gets to the foul line more. Because if he's truly going to be the face of the franchise moving forward, like you need your guy that's going to be handling the ball and getting the ball in his hands in winning time. You want him to get to the foul line a little bit more than what he was uh, doing in the regular season. But that could potentially happen. Uh, but let's go on to Lou Dort. And uh, one more thought about Shea, by the oh, way. Oh, no, no, please. Uh, I would just say I understand that three-point shooting is where it's all going, and adding that to his repertoire is a positive. I would hope, if I was a Thunder fan, that Shea does not get away from the getting to the rim, getting to the foul line. I thought that was the best part of his game this regular season, is that he was getting to the rim, he was crafty, you know, sliding in between defenders and getting free throw attempts. I, I just, I'm not saying he's going to. But you would hope he does not fall in love with the outside jump shot where it takes away from what made him so great in the regular season. I think long-term, he could be a good jump shooter. I think the pull-up threes are maybe in his future, all of those things. But I think his primary offensive goal should be the get to the basket, get to the free throw line, throw out assists. And I hope as he adds more ability to his jump shot, it does not take away from his ability to get to the rim. Because I think he's just so elite at that and clearly has so much ability when it comes to getting to the rim. I think Billy would agree because... like it. The handful of games that I actually sat uh, at press row courtside uh, covering Thunder games, it was a drastic difference. Every time Shea would go to the basket, if he got fouled or if he missed the shot and they called timeout, Billy would just run up to him, just like pat him on the chest, like, I want more of that. So Billy loves when he drives to the basket. I'm sure he's probably thinking, like, the step backs are cool and that's going to be probably cool, much cooler down the road, but 
if if it's working, if it's falling, if you're feeling it, take it. Otherwise, get to the basket. So yeah, like, how many threes a game? Should he be shooting? Yeah, like just any threes or yeah. I four? think I think three or four. Yeah, because like I actually asked. I, I would th- just say if he's shooting seven, and we look up in the, and I I would be going. Ah, that's probably not right for him. That looks desperate. That looks desperate. Like right. if he's shooting seven, it's because he's trying to find his rhythm, and that's not how you want to right. do it. Just do it at the foul line. But uh, Lou Dort. And I'm glad you actually asked earlier, like who brought the ball up first, because it was Lou Dort. And the reason why I remember that was one of my questions to Billy pregame yesterday was, okay, so you've run Lou Dort at point guard in the second half, assuming it's going to be because you're trying to find something that could work in the absence of Dennis Schroeder um, coming in the next few uh, days or whatever. Are you going to try and do that a little bit more in the first half with no Chris Paul, or is that still a second half process? And he was like, oh yeah, blah, 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 second half, second half, first play of the game. I was like, Billy, you liar. You lied to my face yeah. over the computer. But, uh, dude, Lou Dort, everyone's, like, lauding Andre Arberson and deserving, deservingly so. Steven Adams, of course, SGA. Lou Dort has been, like, the biggest, like, wow. That doesn't mean he's going to be, like, a star. I'm not trying to say anything like that. I'm not going to say that he's going to be shooting 50% from the three-point line like he has been in these three scrimmage he games. Will he will not do that. He strikes me as a guy who will go 6 for 6 and then 0 for 6 the next night. I feel like that's just going to be his whole career. But at what point... If if you're playing the Thunder, at what point do you tell your perimeter guys, do not leave him open? Because I know... I don't think that limit exists this year. Not not this year? Not in this playoff run. I think because he's so new. Well, I mean, in, in comparison to, like, obviously you're going to have guys on SG, you're going to have guys on Chris Paul, you're going to have guys on Danilo Gallinari. So at, at some point, like, you don't have the resources, especially with some of these teams in the West, but... Like, I'm sorry, like, he's not Andre Robertson. He's not Terrence Ferguson. This is not your prototypical... Thunder Project wing, Thunder Project guard guy. Oh, I think peak Terrence Ferguson, which was a very short peak. Peak Terrence Ferguson was a better shooter than Lou Dort was. a month and a half. Yeah, he's a better shooter than Lou Dort was. Or is, sorry. I I don't think that limit exists. I don't think any any team is going to be like, okay, we got to make sure we close out on Lou Dort every time. Uh, You know, if you remember the Warriors-Clippers games last year, they never closed out on Shea. Ever. And now we have seen Shea a whole lot. He's an adequate three, but you should close out on Shea Gillis-Alexander. But at the time, he was an unknown quantity, and he was playing with other players, and he just wasn't that guy. I think Lou Dort is going to be, to your point about Shea being on the floor, Chris Paul being on the floor, Dennis Schroeder being on the floor, Danilo Gallinari. He's just always going to be the third or fourth guy, so therefore he will never get the benefit of the doubt from the defense. If he wants to shoot 12 open threes, I think he'll find 12 open threes. Now, I'm not saying he should shoot that many, but I think those options will be there for him. Well, let's project, because when Terrence was a rookie and would take occasional shots, I thought... I, the length is there. The athleticism is certainly there. Maybe he will grow into his body. That never happened. And that's not the only reason why Terrence Ferguson hasn't necessarily panned out. We'll get to him in a few minutes. But um, what I see out of Lou Dort, just the athleticism, the strength, uh, the shooting motion, nothing is like telling me he's he's going to flame out at some point. Like, And that might be a little too hyperbolic. I was saying this during the regular season before the season got suspended. Like, there's nothing about his shooting motion that I think is gimmicky. There's nothing about his shooting motion that tells really? me that can never be fixed. I, I think it's just different every time. I would just tell you he's going to be inconsistent because if you watch him shoot jump shots, just like, you know, watch Phil. I would just watch it. He shoots different every time. He doesn't have an Andre or a Hami problem. He's no hit. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, but like I said, I, if you watch him shoot a basketball, it is a little different every time, which is going to cause you to be inconsistent. And so sometimes he'll have a stroke. It, like speaking from experience as the streakiest shooter who's ever played pickup basketball. <laughs> sometimes he will have a stroke. It will not be able to miss. And sometimes he won't be able to find 
you know, the bottom of the net if you paid him a million dollars. I think that is going to be his problem. Is that I, th- I think he's going to be an inconsistent jump shooter. Not saying he won't be a good one for stretches, but I also think he'll be a bad one for stretches too. Fair That's enough. just me watching him shoot basket. Just not even watching if the ball goes in or not. Just watching him shoot a basketball from a form perspective. If it's not the same every time, I'm always going to think you're going to be streaky. Now, there's a lot of NBA players who have... J.R. Smith does not shoot the basketball the same every time. Yeah. Great jump shooter. So there are there are exceptions to the rule, but uh, I would just tell you that would be my cautious optimism on Lou. And, and Lou also really doesn't have a quick release. Like J.R. Smith has a quick release. Lou Dort, it's kind of like a little wind-up, and it goes straight. It's like a Cade Davis shot. You remember Cade Davis from OU? Yeah. Just rainbow up in the air. I would say, he, I've never seen a guy put as much arc on it. as Yeah. It's like which, him and Kyle Korver put that much arc on which it. Which, it kind of works out. I think it was the Philly game. He missed two or three threes. Right, he missed two. Both of them were ended up being offensive or rebounded by the Thunder because he just shoots them straight into the rafters and it falls straight down. If it makes it, it looks pretty. If he misses it, it just bounces straight up in the air and it allows like guys like Darius or Steven or whoever's playing sure. center an opportunity to get a shot. So even when he sucks, he helps out the team. But yeah. maybe I'm a little bit higher on Lou Dort, but I wouldn't be shocked if a two-way rookie gets uh, exposed in the Postseason. His ball handling though is clearly better. Did you like that? I up? thought he was a disaster in the regular season. You no, know, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about that. Is just the point guard that yeah. he ran. You're... I thought in the regular season, every time he dribbled, I was like, "Oh God, please pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up." And I thought he was he was not great, but he was drastically better. You remember two uh, summer leagues ago when the Thunder ran Terrence Ferguson out there at point guard, and it just <laughs> yeah. never looked pretty. Yeah, it against summer league players, and Terrence Ferguson was going into the year where he was starting. Right, Lou Dort. Did not look awful with the ball in his hands. And he played some point guard at Arizona State, but I think that that kind of like played into the fact that he missed like a thousand shots in a row to end out his college season, which is why he ended up not getting drafted. Sure, but him handling the ball like he didn't really pass the ball that much. He didn't really dialed up with a lot of assists, but he looked confident. He basically looked like he knew what he was doing, and that's like the biggest thing for me. If you're a young player in the NBA and you've got the ball in your hands and you're going to do something with it, don't look lost. Terrence Ferguson always looks lost. He dribbles into uh, the boundary. He'll dribble into a double team and then immediately try to pass out, or he overpasses in a possession. He did that twice already in these three in the two scrimmage games. He didn't play in the third one, but I like what I see out of that. It seems like it could potentially work for a game or two. I don't know how long it could last, but if oh, I Dennis Schroeder in the playoffs, no, no, no. I'm assuming Dennis Schroeder will be ready for at least at some point during the first round. I think when Schroeder's gone, I assume Chris or Shea will be on the floor every second. One of those two. Yeah, uh, maybe so. I can't. I can't imagine them running point guard with somebody else. Maybe so, unless they decide like these playing games don't really matter, and they're like, we'll play whoever we want to play. From the high end to the low end, Danilo Gallinari. Now, I'm technically not concerned with him. I said that to uh, Jerry Ramsey last night on the post game show. I'm technically not concerned with him because the guy is just he has shown his entire career how good he is. He's shown this year how good he is. And he's probably one of the few players on this team, if not the only one, that literally did not play basketball during the hiatus because it really showed. He did not look comfortable in any game. He'd never found rhythm. Um, He missed so many wide-open shots. And he was taking weird off-balance, off-the-dribble, one-legged jumpers, like mid-range jumpers, just... Just didn't look comfortable. Yeah, he, he had I'm, two turnovers I, in the first three minutes. Yeah, and I'm assuming that with more reps, he's going to get better and start to resemble the player that we saw back before the suspend, suspension of the season. But I got to admit, I'm, I'm a tad concerned because if Danilo is off, that's not good. 
that's not good for for a team that's trying to climb up in the standings in the Western Conference and avoid the the LA teams because at times even with Chris and SGA or Dennis on the floor having good games at times Danilo is their best half court offensive player by far and if he doesn't have rhythm at all that's gonna be that's that could be tough offensively yeah I would say he's the one player disappointed in these scrimmages so far I mean yeah it's it's easy to see just from the reasons I put out there but again. I don't want to pretend or try to get any type of notoriety of like Danilo Gallinari's washed now. But again, like if they roll the out shaved there on, head looks weird. It does look weird. If he rolls out there on Saturday against Utah and he's shooting the same like two of nine, three of eight, just never finding rhythm, the Thunder could lose their first game after winning three meaningless scrimmage games and all that momentum, all that hype. You lose your first game. Like I wonder what that does to like a regular NBA team psyche that's in the bubble. I don't think it would really affect the Thunder psyche because this team has strong leadership and cohesion. But they need to win as many games as possible. Sure. And I think that they have a really good opportunity early on to gobble up some wins because teams like Utah, teams like Houston, that thrive off of athleticism, ball handling, and just out-talenting their opponents – that's going to take them, I think, a few more weeks to find that momentum, whereas the Thunder can just out-execute and out-hustle. And they show that during the scrimmages with a 24-point comeback, with Steven Adams Euro-stepping all over your lookalike, uh, Zach Collins. They can gobble up wins, but if Danilo Gallinari just doesn't have it, I don't know if that's a good prognosis, especially with Dennis Schroeder leaving at some point. Yeah, they need 15 points a game north for Danilo Gallinari if they're going to be successful. Uh, and they're going to do what Thunder fans want to do, which I assume is make the playoffs and potentially win a first-round playoff series. They need 15 to 22 points every single night for Danilo. And he looked rough. And so I would just say, for me, that's the biggest question mark. There's a few other guys who I thought did not play well uh, in these scrimmages, but as far as meaningful players, I think Danilo just, to your point, showed rust. And that, that would be the one concern I would have if I was a Thunder fan. Yeah, but again, like it's Danilo Gallinari. He's a professional. He's a vet. He he would have like two game stretches where he just wasn't really you would kind of forget that he was out there. The Thunder would still win those games, but it, it can happen, especially when you get guys like Shea or Chris or you know. Insta- but he scores sixteen points a game. Good game, bad game, anything in between. He's one of those guys. Yeah, but the point was is he didn't have prolonged stretches of going cold. Sure. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. For they the need his chances. shooting for the for the floor stretching of exactly for sure. So let's move on to uh, Stevo. Mr. Steven Adams, who looks like a brand new man. Game one, Steven Adams, man, is one of the best centers in the NBA. If you notice, every time a season starts, we all have that, is Steven Adams a top five center (laughs) conversation? And then by the end of last year, people thought he was the worst center in his division. I thought he plateaued two years ago. Yeah, we're we're getting, we're, I'm not going to say that's totally over. Um, But yeah, I mean, when Steven's healthy, Steven looks great. And he's healthy right now, and he's literally just eating glass on the offensive end. And that's what makes him dominant. If he can get you eight points that you're not supposed to have because he hustles and gets offensive rebounds, that's a huge difference. And I, so far in these scrimmages, he's been that. So can he hold up? I don't know. But it's kind of what we all expected. These four months off were really good for Steven Adams. I mean, him and SGA yesterday on the two-man game with SGA trying to get Nurkic to switch on. That was, whew, poor Nurkic. He also <laughs> threw a beautiful lob to Danilo in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. Danilo had a little back cut. Steven off the dribble with a what? like picked it up, was dribbling with one hand, scooped it up with that same hand, and lofted it towards, I mean, a beautiful, but Danilo blew it. A beautiful pass, though. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought all that stuff was great. But, you know, Steven, Steven, I wouldn't say he's gotten drastically better. I just think he's gotten healthy. 
You know, Billy brought this up unprompted about Steven uh, in regards to potentially point center. Not bring, I can't ever imagine Not bringing that. the ball up, but... Putting him at the high post, letting high him kind post. of pass around. Yeah. He's a good passer. Um, I, I Sure, if he was on a bad team, sure. I think with this... with. Chris Paul, who's one of the greatest passers in the game. Danilo Gallinari, who's a fine playmaker. Shea Gilles-Alexander, who I think is being a little overvalued in his playmaking, but a fine playmaker. And Dennis Schroeder. I, I just don't know if that, there's a role there for him. Fair enough. Maybe the future, again, if he's on a team that lacks playmakers, but Thunder are not lacking in that department. Thunder just need to keep him healthy as close to 100% as long as possible. You are exactly right. Dennis Schroeder apparently will be leaving, I think, at the end of next week, because a week ago he put out on Instagram that his wife was due in two weeks. But again, babies can I, I assume they they can come whenever you know when it gets yeah. around this. I wonder if they ever scheduled to get induced. Yeah, like uh, Jerry was telling me that. I'm like, I don't know anything about babies, but I don't have any. But I do know what inducing is. Well, you're married, so you're you might as well. We be there. haven't even considered that option. Hey, we're. Uh, we got a puppy we're, on Christmas. That's uh, about as far as we go. Unfortunately, we're early on potentially in this pandemic, so there is a lot of downtime. Fair enough. Looking, Fair enough. Looking ahead, but um, Dennis Schroeder basically just kind of looked like the same player, which is of course good. He was still giving the effort on defense. He was getting steals. He was jumping into passing lanes. Um, the three point shooting wasn't really there like it was in the regular season, which. Was it 37%? I didn't realize it was that high. And he was awesome on spot-ups. Yeah. Like, I think he was shooting 39% on spot-ups, which is incredible for Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been a low-30s guy most of his career, especially in Atlanta. But if he loses that, oh, God. Because last year, on last year's team, Dennis Schroeder shot the thunder out of, like, four or five games that they would have won if he didn't take seven to nine threes and miss all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, every time I watch Dennis, and I haven't watched him in a while, I have this realization of, golly, this guy can finish at the rim. Like, he, for being so small, <laughs> like, so small, compared to every, the guy has crafty finishes, and he can get to the rim whenever he wants to, and he's so quick, and he has an ability to get there. His playmaking is good, not great. I think he has a, a fine way of finding divers, like Stephen Adams is coming at the rim, or so on and so forth. Nerlens Noel. Yeah, I, but I think Dennis is who Dennis was when the season ended. To your point, it's... His whole career, he's been streaky. That's that's all he was in Atlanta was uh, a top fifteen point guard. To should this guy be on an NBA roster? Like that that was his whole life. And he got to Oklahoma City, and he was a little bit that way. And then this year, he's just bought in, and he has been that guy all year, game in and game out. That has been such a giant change for him that we're not accustomed to. If he can continue that, I think he'll be great. And uh, I, I'm not positive that's going to happen, but that would be the biggest question mark is is the fact that he's not streaky anymore still the case. Did you listen to Zach Lowe's podcast uh, when they were going through the awards list? I started it when the Six Man of the Rear thing. Yeah. They both had Montrose Harrell, if I'm not mistaken, which is a mistake. But Yeah. I, I If you listen to it, we've been on for 27 minutes. I'm very clearly not a Thunder homer. <laughs> I've had like very cautious optimism about everybody. That's a disgrace. Dennis Schroeder should absolutely win Six Man of the Year. Yeah, and I'm going to, I'm going to assume it's either going to be, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's because of the L.A., like the big market, like over the small market thing. The Thunder already have a six man of the year award in their repertoire. Uh, but it's the I, known quantity, right? I, I think it's a part of that. And it's just a part of 
Chris Paul and SGA are getting a lot of the credit for the Thunder success. And when Dennis Schroeder is having a lot of success, it's part of that three guard lineup. And I think when like the basketball nerds really break down the Thunder, they use the three guard lineup as like a one person entity. Sure. So not one player is responsible for the Thunder success. It's all three of them at the same time. So I think that that could potentially like take away some votes from Dennis, which is stupid at the same time. Because the whole point of, of the game of basketball, especially today, is floor spacing. And if he's out there, the floor has been spaced. Yeah, who's the second best bench player for the Thunder? Uh, Darius Baisley. That, okay. Or, I, or, I ask the clip- or Nerlens Noel. Sure. If he doesn't skip his test. Sure. You, you're having to debate it a little bit, right? You have to put some thought into it. Who's the second best player for the Clippers off the bench? I'm, Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell? Like, I just... I'm sorry. The load that Dennis is carrying is drastically more than those two guys. I think they're also projecting that Montrez Harrell is going to have a monster postseason because he's such a good matchup. Like he's a matchup problem for Anthony Davis will eat his lunch just for clarity. If they, they get to the Western gonna, Conference Finals, are they going to run Trez up against Anthony Davis? I what? assume they'll close that way. Oh, can you? I I keep wanting to call him Wally Zerbiak for some reason. Uh, what what is the sitter's name for the Clippers? Oh gosh, what is his name? The guy who played for the Lakers. Yeah, got traded there for Mike Muscala, actually. Yeah. Um. Regardless, I mean, they're not going to trot him out there. Uh, imagine if the Clippers had Nerlens Noel. Oh yeah, I would. I would love running him up against Anthony Davis. If that's like the low end of your roster or your starting five, or a guy off the bench, take I, I take that. Well, you remember before the season started, the Thun- the Clippers and the Thunder kind of had some weird handshake agreement where Patrick Patterson was going to get bought out and he was going to head over to the Clippers. They picked the wrong guy. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. But yeah, Dennis Schroeder, basically the same player. But uh, I just think we don't know. Hope, hopefully, and then he's going to be gone for a handful of games, and who knows how that hand, that deals with his momentum. But oh well, I guess let's go on to uh, Darius Baisley. And we actually just talked about him on the radio. I am like we've talked about on this podcast before, Chism. I'm much higher on Darius Baisley than you are. I think yesterday was a good performance in terms of like that type of trend, but I know that that was just a scrimmage, and I know that Darius is not going to routinely drop like four or five three-pointers every time. he's not going to score 20 in the playoffs? Exactly, and especially with the way he's eating it up on uh, social media, you'd think he'd never score, he's never scored north of 15 in his life. But, yeah. I mean, I understand he's excited, but um, Billy brought this up when I asked him about Darius the other day, uh, and he'd always talk about SGA this way, never anybody else. But he'd always say of SGA, great players, in my opinion, are guys that can make that have great bounce back mentalities from bad games and especially good games. Like if you have a good game, if you're SGA and you have a 2020-10 game, well, if you're great, what did you do the next night? If you came out there and had 12 points, four turnovers, and didn't really do anything, then you're not going to be great. Sure. He brought that up unprompted with Darius Baisley. Do do what does that make me think that Billy thinks Darius is going to be a great great player? No, but I found it interesting because Billy seems to think very highly of Darius, like I do, and him running at the five in practice, him running at the five in these scrimmages. It's a nice little wrinkle. Who knows if they're actually going to employ it? But again, I, like I've said, at the very least, Darius is a great player for off this bench, just from a defensive standpoint, to spell Danilo Gallinari, and because the defensive numbers are really favorable when you like dive in on them. Yeah, I I agree with you. I would say my, I think Darius Baisley is an NBA player. I think he's going to have a future. What does it look like? I don't know. I my op, my skepticism of Darius Baisley is just about this season and what he's going to really contribute. Because to your point, his defensive numbers are good. Let's also admit those are always against backups. Those are never against starting caliber players. And what gets phased out of the playoffs? 
Well, backups. Uh, they get phased out almost immediately. So what does he look like when instead of guarding... I'm trying to think of the... Uh, you know, instead of guarding Jermichael Green yeah. for the Clippers, he's guarding Kawhi Leonard. Uh, that's a different animal. So I, I think there's a healthy skepticism of what Darius is going to look like in the playoffs just because he's not going to be able to capitalize on underwhelming talent that he has done so far. Again, great player, high ceiling, good draft pick by Sam Presti. I, I think it's going to bear out unless he can continue to shoot at the 62% or whatever he's shooting right now for the three-point line of these scrimmages. Unless he can continue to shoot at a very, very high clip from the outside, I think he's going to struggle just because he's not quite there yet. And the problem is, the, the thing is, it doesn't necessarily need to be. They don't need Darius to come in and play 25 minutes in these games that matter. He's an absolute cherry on top offensively. Yeah, and so they just need him to, if anything, come in and dispel 12 minutes, you know, eight minutes in a playoff game. Like, not a whole lot. So can he add something like that? Sure. I. He's not going to play 25 minutes in a playoff game. He's not going to play 26 minutes in a playoff game. That's just not going to happen. Well, here's a scenario. What if the Thunder find themselves in a in a matchup where they're able, the Thunder's opponent is able to absolutely exploit Danilo Gallinari defensively. So something akin to what Utah did with Carmelo Anthony. I think Darius Basley is an improvement. Do they you, go small? You are way higher on Darius Basley's well, defensive acumen this I mean, year. Would than you I want am. them to go small or just and not keep Darius Basley or not just simply like trade? I think Andre Robertson's the guy coming off the bench at that point. Okay. Then, yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. And that's something yeah. that's obviously not been in our heads until like the last oh, two Andre weeks. Oh, Andre Robertson's always in my head, man. He's should lived we, there. Should we go to Dre or should we go to Hami? I'm fine with either one. Oh, let's go to Hami. I feel like I've been raining on everyone's parade so far. Well, I'll rain on Hami's parade. We talk about streaky. We talk about up and down. Hamadou Diallo's scrimmages were up and down. Hamadou Diallo, when he returned from injury early on in the season, has been up and down. And him taking these weird... Dribble drive. No one has wanted to get to the rim more than Hamadou Diallo and really been bad at it. Unless he has the ball in his hands. If he's cutting, fine. If he's crashing glass. He was glass, doing these weird, but like just like closing, uh, attacking closeouts, right? That's yep. one, two dribbles at the rim. Great at it. He was in that third scrimmage. He was doing this weird, like, I'm Steve Nash and I'm going to circle around the defense. Yeah. And, and I'm, I was like, Hami, bro. I, I don't know who. It's almost like they got into the huddle and Billy Donovan said, I want you to attack the rim. That does not mean with 15 dribbles. No, Billy said, it's a scrimmage. Fuck it. Do whatever you want. I mean, it was <laughs> it was so puzzling. And I thought Hami looked great whenever he was, again, attacking closeout, one, two dribbles, get to the rim, finish. I thought he looked good doing that. I thought he looked good on defense. I thought he looked active. I thought he looked good cutting off the ball. But he, again, was doing this weird Steve Nash impression that I thought was just horrendous. And he it was like four or five possessions in a quarter where I was just going, oh my God, if I was the coach, I would be yanking him off the floor. Anything defensively out of him concern you? Because I, I think the defense, I mean, for a, you know, basically your first wing off the bench, I, I, think, I, I think it could definitely be worse. Uh, yeah, I think he's a... Unless that first wing is Andre Arverson. I think he's an average on-ball defender, and that's a compliment because most NBA players are not. Exactly. I think he's an average on-ball defender. I think he's pretty pretty good off the ball, uh, like jumping passing lanes, you know, or at least taking options away. Something that, never, that does not get tracked but should be appreciated on defense is if you can see an action running very clearly to a spot and they can't throw the ball there because Hamo Diallo's standing in the passing lane, if which he did a great job of in the third scrimmage of basically just, hey, you know that set you're running? You can't finish that play because I'm standing here. Beautiful stuff. Hami's great at that. Yeah, you can take away four to six seconds off the shot Because they have to reset. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think Hami's great at that. On the ball, I think he's been a little overrated because I think people just kind of lump defense all together. It's like, oh, he's a great defender. No, he's a pretty good defender. His problem is just fouling. Right, and 
he fouls a lot whenever people are driving at him. So I think he's fine coming off the bench. I uh, he's another one of those guys who I think might get cut out of the rotation whenever the playoffs start. Especially if Andre Arverson makes the leap. So let's get right into Andre. He's been the biggest winner of these scrimmages, and it's sure. just because he played himself into a contract. Someone will sign him this summer, and I thought that was a a miracle. Be, about two be, months ago, think it might be the Thunder. Maybe. He's willing to come back. He's not getting ten million a year. Not getting ten million a year. No. Okay. So the big question, and I'll, I'll lump this in with Lou Dort because I asked this on the post game show to Jerry. What do you think has a better chance of continuing, Lou Dort's three point shooting or Andre Robertson's three point shooting? Uh, can I choose neither? Yes, you can. I'll choose neither. I think they're both going to regress. Uh, uh, Andre. So Andre's shot now. Talking about shot form, Andre's looks drastically better. Yes, it does. And I said that, and people laughed at me. And I'm like. What are you watching? It just looks different. <laughs> it, it it looks smoother. It looks a lot smoother. Uh, and so I would say he is probably a better shooter than he was when he left. He's not going to keep shooting at the rate he is. Um, you, you can improve a jump shot. You can become a better shooter. You don't go from shooting 28% or whatever it was. To He's shooting. a 33 overall percent shooter overall. Yeah. 33. You don't, you, you don't skyrocket up to just teetering under 40. Um, so... I, he, I think his has the best chance of being better than it was. I think they're both... The Thunder as a whole shot the lights out in a couple of these scrimmages. But I think they're both going to go back to a little bit... I think there might be a little bit of fool's, fool's gold with these scrimmages. Uh, but I think they both stand a chance of being better than when mm-hmm. the season ended. I just don't think they're going to stay as how well they were shooting in these scrimmages. It's a, it's a shame that Dame and CJ didn't play in the third game because I really liked the trajectory and the development that Billy was using with Andre. First game, he comes in and plays 12 minutes. You know, Second half, everyone's excited that he's even on the floor. And then he also plays like mainly a lot on the back line defensively up at the four spot. Played a lot of power forward. Played power forward, even lined up at center at some point. And even he said, like that kind of freaked me out. I wasn't really ready for that. Second game, he gets put out in the pruner a little bit more, and he started to kind of resemble his old self, like getting like getting his hand in passing lanes, disrupting things. Um, he didn't really look like he's lost that much of a step. And then game three was supposed to be kind of a culmination of okay, we'll throw him out there against you know two all stars and see what he see what happens, which is really just torture. Like what the hell? Again, Billy? it's like Billy in the post game told me like he needs to work on his conditioning. I I know of no other better way to work on your conditioning than going to chase Dame Lillard around or CJ McCollum yeah. off screens off the mid range. Sure. So um, unfortunately, it gets happened. So he had to go guard Carmelo Anthony <laughs> for about six minutes until Anthony Simons was like, no, I'm going to be Dame this time. And he was for about ten minutes. I'm a huge Anthony Simons fan. So I'm not. He's nice. He's he's not bad, but sneaky good player. Andre, I, I don't I don't know, and it'd be interesting to ask Billy, because typically when you're bringing off like bringing on your first or second choice off the bench, like from the wing or a perimeter player, you're kind of throwing them out there with the understanding that they can make as many on court physical mistakes as they do mental mistakes. Andre Robertson is not going to make mental mistakes defensively. He's not going to make mental mistakes offensively unless he just airballs a shot because he doesn't have the confidence. But the confidence seems to be there. He's not going to make. He's a guy who I think is going to benefit from no crowd, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he's not going to make many mental mistakes, and I wonder if that just translates into Billy just having to be forced to keep him out there, even though he may not be in a hundred percent basketball shape, because guys like Hami or Abdul can go up and down with their fouling. Yeah, I. The first game of Andre against the Sixers. Oh, no, sorry, against the Celtics. Celtics. Again, I know everyone was just excited he was out there, and I, I I totally get it. He got go watch the first like five or six defensive possessions. He was on Jalen Brown, and Jalen Brown just blew by him a yeah. handful of times. And I thought, oh no, 
Like, oh this no. Is, this if, is this is just like a sympathy thing. <laughs> and just for clarity, Andre Robertson has never been like the elite on ball defender. Like he's a really good on ball defender. His best his best defensive position is off the ball. Um and that's where it's been his whole career. But he's always been a really good on ball defender. And whenever he started getting blown by over and over, I was like, oh, this is if he laterally lost a lot, this is really gonna hamper him. And to his credit, the Sixers game I thought it was better, and then uh against Ah, the last team. The Blazers. The Blazers. I thought it was it was even better than that. Um, so I don't know if that's just kind of working into it. That is one yellow flag I kind of raise on Andre is, okay, so you're on the ball. You're on an island. You used to be okay with that. Are you still okay with that? Because that was one of your number one things you added to the team. Um, but it looked better. The shooting motion looks better. I think he will be the first wing off the bench. I think Dennis Schroeder will be the sixth man, and Andre Robertson slash Nerlens Noel will be the seventh. Yeah, I think if he, if he stays healthy and he gets in shape... With each with each rep, I think it'll just that's just how it's going to age. Like Hami's probably going to balance out, Abdul's probably going to balance out, and then that just means Andre, just as a smarter, more dependable defender, he's probably going to be there. But uh, I think your I think your eight man rotation in the playoffs is the starting five: Schroeder, Robertson, and then Mike Muscala slash Nerlens Noel, just depending. Well, let's, yeah, let's get into Muscala and, and let's just throw him in there with Nerlens Noel. Mike Muscala played extremely well. Shot the lights out. It's yeah. almost like he was the guy they thought they were signing. Exactly. And if he's their backup five in some small ball lineups, like can you can you get away with that? In the he postseason? blocked. Uh, he blocked Tice. Yeah, Daniel Tice. That's yeah. who it was. Yeah, I. That's who we thought. That's who I thought he was going to be when they signed that's him. That's what Sam Presti thought when he went to his I house. To, we all dunked on the Sam Presti went to Mike Muscala's house story, and that's funny. But Mike Muscala is a, a decent backup. And I was like, you look, you know, he shoots 38% from the three-point line. He's uh, somewhere in the average defender range. He's a great 12 to 15 minutes a night big man. And then he stunk. Like, he just, like he was horrible. He couldn't buy a jump shot for a large stretch of the season. And did the scrimmages, like every other member of the Thunder, he shot the freaking lights out. And you have this realization of like, oh, this is kind of what we were envisioning. I think him and New Orleans are going to be competing for time. I don't. I can't imagine... That we're going to see multiple bigs come off the bench, and I mean like bigs, bigs, like true centers, uh, and that's kind of what I think Mike Muscala. I know he played a lot of power forward. I don't think, I don't think that's where he's got to fit in the playoffs. I think they're going to be fighting for time, and just depending on the matchup. I thought Mike was fine, um, and I thought he was you know really good in stretches and kind of who we all thought he was going to be. So better than the regular season. Nerlens is Nerlens. I thought he looked uh, about the same, and obviously Nerlens. With full Nerlens when he slept through his COVID test. And so, like, even that is the entire experience of having Nerlens Noel on your team. All that was missing was a hot dog. Uh, and I think that those two guys are going to be the bigs that come off the bench because they're veterans. They've been there before and they've kind of done it. Uh, Nerlens is a guy for 12 minutes, man. He can look really good. Really, really Act, good. Like, the one game that he played, like, he gave you the Nerlens Noel experience. Like, active hands, fast. Two hands, steals, a block, two steals. Yeah, eight just, rebounds. And he, he he was the guy who threw a lob to uh, who did he throw a lob to? Was it Darius Baisley? I think so. Yeah. So there you go. Good job, Nerlens Noel. Just please uh, don't take naps as as frequently. Yeah, fewer naps. Yeah, I think uh, I think Nerlens stands a pretty good chance of being in the rotation in the playoffs. I I mean it's going to be eight men rotation in the playoffs. Very rarely nine. So I think it's really going to be because I'm confident Robertson's going to play now because I think I. Not because I think he's that much better. I just think that Billy is going to really want to rely on because Robertson's played in huge games, mm-hmm. and like that's going to matter, right? Like once they get to the playoffs, it's going to be not about development. 
who yeah. gives a damn about next year? These five games we're just trying to win. I think Andre Robertson, the fact that he's played in Western Conference Finals, he's played uh, tons of playoff games, that's going to matter a lot to Billy. So I think he's going to be that next step. So then it really comes down to Mike, Darius, or Nerlens, and that might all be matchup-based. Yeah. Home stretch. two more guys. Abdul Nader. Really, that I thought he's horrible. I really did. Yeah, and like people were really excited after that first game because he was like what nine of eleven. Like he 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 scored nine points in a real quick burst. But yeah. the thing with Abdul is he can do that because a lot of his buckets, no offense, are like trash. Like he just scores a lot of trash buckets. And I feel like every time I see him spotted up wide open, someone hits him hits him uh, in the spot yeah. in rhythm. He always misses. Yeah, best shooter on the team never makes a jump shot. It's been my joke for a while about yeah. about uh, Abdul. I thought. In the first game, I thought obviously he was good, um, and he looked in he looked fluid. He looked like he could score. I don't know if he's because he's playing his old team, and you're almost like this would be a very helpful player to have in the NBA. Uh, Getting buckets on Shimmy Ojale. I don't know if it was the fact that Andre came out and like looked good, and he was like, "Oh wait, I need to compete for minutes." Because I thought those next two scrimmages, <laughs> like, oh dude, shit, he was like forcing the hell out of it. Like I thought he looked so uncomfortable, and every time he touched a ball, it looked like he was either trying to get to the rim or he's going to shoot a jump shot. Like he just did not look like he was in the flow of the game at all. And truth, he looked like he was forcing offense. And I, he's not a good defensive player. He's not. Um, and so I think whenever his offense is bad, his defense is already bad. He's gonna look horrible. And I thought those two scrimmages were not good for Abdul. And I, I think he got in his own head. I really do. Basing yeah, it off of nothing. I but. think Darius being healthy obviously keeps Abdul Nader off the floor because when Darius got hurt, that's when we had the Hamadou Diallo Abdul Nader experience. I'm off here for pitch. it. Not good. Terrence Ferguson worse. I think he is absolutely... I, can you remember a, a, a two minutes of Terrence Ferguson? I can because I watched it, but and I, I was thoroughly disappointed. But I, like, I know he came in after Andre Robertson in the first game. I, he's absolutely trending in the in the direction of, I would not be surprised if the Thunder didn't... I mean, I know they are, but if they didn't want to get that extra year on his rookie deal... Oh, yeah. Like, like, they would, they would it not up. shock me because, quite frankly, he has not earned it. Well, they've already picked it up, so there's no getting out of it now. Mm. Um, I, he is... There's no excuse right now. He's had all this time to get his mind right, to take care of his off-the-court affairs. He seems to be in a better place with all the social media posts about him FaceTiming his daughter. That's all great, and I'm happy that he's been able to you know, clean up that part of his life. That's more important than basketball, but this is a basketball podcast. And Terrence Ferguson, who showed promise for what we mentioned for like a month and a half or two last year, ever since then, he has steadily gone down, and it continues to go down. I think he's got, like, gone down in the way that, like, you forget he's out there for large stretches, and you just can't have that. You can't have a guy who you're just like, wait, why? he he played 16 minutes? Why is he so timid? I don't know. It, it's gotten worse. If you remember his rookie year, obviously the famous game against the Lakers and the Clippers on a back-to-back, and he was, you know, these crazy dunks and just shooting jump shots willy-nilly, and he kind of had that all the way through that rookie season, and then he comes in the next year as the starter because Andre Robertson was hurt. And it kind of went through that year, and they started tapering off. I don't know where it is, but he very clearly has lost his basketball confidence. Like he, he is just so forgettable, and his best ability is chasing people off the ball, right? Running around screens, dipping and ducking and dodging, uh, and sticking around people like CJ McCollum or JJ Redick or whoever. That's his number one ability. That does not help you when you're playing against backups. Yeah, that is a great ability for a starting shooting guard. But if that is the only ability you have against backups, that's worthless. I'm really sorry. Like it absolutely is. Yeah, and because he's not doing anything else. And it's just disappointing because the Thunder are going to continuously trot him out there and give him every single opportunity. But it's, oh, I bet he doesn't play in these eight games. Well, I'm talking about perhaps next year. 
unless the Thunder really understand, no, there's something here with Lou Dort. Let's like see this through. Whether he's a bust, whether he's average, whether he becomes like oh, he better be praying they don't sign Andre Robertson this summer. Oh yeah, because he's already. I mean, I think what? he's very clearly behind Hami and Lou Dort. Very clearly. Oh, that is that is gonna be a good question in the offseason. Kevin Hervey and Devin Hall played. Devin Hall didn't really look that bad. I always like Kevin Hervey. Kevin Hervey, had, I, I, it's a shame he got hurt in college. Can you imagine him healthy in college yeah. and then coming into the NBA? He is he is a prototypical five. I remember watching the summer league and being like, ah, this guy, I don't know. The guy hasn't got a clean shot. He does. Smooth. Talk about form. Yeah. Guy whose form. I I have this, I, if you can't tell, I have a fascination with shooting form. Kevin Hervey, great shooting form. <laughs> Chisholm, we, the longest weekly show in some time. Oh, Congratulations. Dude. We need to do it more often. Let's do it the full court. Let's do it the press sometime. Eventually. Eventually. Eventually we, we will. We will persevere. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the weekly show with Chisholm Holland and Brady Trantham. Tune in next week and then tune in on Saturday for the postgame show, Thunder's first game against the Utah Jazz. Was it at 3 o'clock or what time is it at? 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. We're back, baby. Hold the wait. Hold the wait. I'm double checking. Uh-oh. I don't want to mislead the audience. Yeah, we do. 2.30. 2.30. We're back. Peace.